to breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch Man, that's just too much good stuff I thought the pandemic was supposed to end the parade of good stuff, but no. It's given us a second impeachment. That's true. That's also a good show. There's that. (laughs) Did you guys watch that? I did. And his weird speech where he said a bunch of shit he should have said last. Was that last week? It was. Uh, (laughs) It was last week. It was Um, last week. What did he say? I have... Not he was like, I don't know, he kind of condemned it finally and said, like, people who support me wouldn't, shouldn't be supporting, like, violence and disrespecting the police and the country and the American flag and blah, blah, blah. And finally kind of said all those things that he should have said back on the 6th <laughs> when it would have made a difference. Um but then at the end of it, he was like, and then we're seeing a lot of new, like, uh, suppression of free speech and blah, blah, blah. And then went on a tiny little veiled tirade about, obviously, <laughs> that he's been banned from Twitter so and Facebook and Grinder and all of his favorite places. <laughs> I don't think he got banned from Grinder. I don't think they have. I saw some, like... I saw some, I don't know how credible the outlet was, but it was reporting that he was also banned from Grindr as well as Pinterest, but yes, ban him from the internet entirely. I think everybody'd be fine with that. Get that motherboard the fuck out of here. I looked it up and he did not have a LinkedIn presence, which is both good for LinkedIn but also, like, it says a lot about what LinkedIn is. Okay. So last night I went down a little bit of a journey uh, mm. on LinkedIn because I was like, wait a minute. LinkedIn's been been able to be very quiet right now. Exactly. Um, and then I went through all of my uh, <laughs> ex-coworkers from the oil and gas industry, and I was like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. At mm-hmm. least one of them. I'm like, there we are. Yep, this is all. This should all be taken down. Because <laughs> it was like politically charged on LinkedIn. Yeah, I know that there's. I've seen um, a few like politically charged stuff, but then also there are some folks that are very um, the like sharing a bunch of the QAnon stuff. Damn. Um, there's a woman that, uh, how do I say this? Just fucking say it. You don't work with her anymore. And she's what? A Trump supporter? Who gives a shit? No, well, she's, Drag not, her. she's not a Trump supporter. She's just like really into the conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Um, and she used to be our HR director. HR directors are the craziest ones mm-hmm. in my experience. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably what makes them so tolerant. But like, <laughs> you're sharing this shit on LinkedIn while you're looking for a job. Like, maybe, like, maybe share it. You know, if you're legit concerned mm-hmm. and believe this shit. But like, 
It's so weird. It's well, like it's wearing not... a MAGA hat to a job interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Open to jobs. <laughs> yep. I bet you are. It's not the time. Even I really... if we both agree, it's still not the time. I mean, yeah. even if you're on the dim, like, I wouldn't, like, I don't share shit on LinkedIn because, you know, why? I, I don't want to read other people's shit on LinkedIn. But uh, I would never share something that's political. I'd be like, here are five marketing tips for something, you know, like stupid shit that nobody cares about. Yeah. Five great marketing tips to get people to believe that pedophiles run the government. I mean, Uh you could slant it, slant it that way. Step one, target yoga teachers with vaccine denial. (laughs) Step two. Call your great aunt. (laughs) Yeah. Step two, promise to buy an MLM product from everyone in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. All of those people will believe anything you say. I, I know that it's not, it's not super important because like, if you're on that side of history, you're on that side of history. But I do, I'm very interested in, because I've heard of a few people where it was like, yeah, before 2016, 2017, uh, you know, my mom, my uncle, whatever, was like super liberal, and now they're like really into QAnon and therefore mm-hmm. supporting Trump. So I'm, I really want to know the kind of, I guess, data or like human behavior around how these people got to where they are. Like, yeah. is it because they're too online and they're like, "Ooh, now I know about a conspiracy," and like. Or is it because they were like, you know, I want to keep my money because I'm rich? Mm. Or is it because they're like, this is funny. Let's vote for this guy. I am going to refer you to the answers in Cosmopolitan (laughs) magazine. Cosmo ran an amazing article today from two people who almost slipped into QAnon um, through ultra super duper vegan liberal side mm-hmm. due to like health and wellness stuff. Well, yeah. Cause so, like, like anti-vaxxer, mm-hmm. anti-vaxxer is like the gateway to Still Wayfair right. is selling kids. Yeah. 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 It's literally, literally. And then like they do this touchy feely kind of feminine QAnon and then they like get into it and then some of them run into the hardcore like masculine QAnon on Reddit or whatever and then go, eh, eh. you know, they kind of drake it. Um, or they're just like, oh, at this point, you know what? It's all about squashing the pedophiles or whatever. So, yeah. But yeah, Cosmo ran a really good in-depth, insightful article about how all these woo-woo yoga teachers are ending up storming the Capitol for Trump. Yeah. Really weird. Well, and then it like really bums me out because then I have sympathy for some of these people who are like, they really, they genuinely think that they're saving children's lives by doing this shit. Right. They've lost touch with reality because nobody's actually in reality right now. There is no reality. (laughs) Mm -mm. Oh, y'all, I had therapy last night and I'm like, I'm ready to go, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I've had a this weird thing and that weird thing. And the whole damn time she's like, so how are you since everything happened? And I'm like, I guess we're talking about this for a fucking hour. She's like, how are you coping? I'm like, fucking not 
like I look, I gave a shit for two days and then now it's like, good. We're arresting him. I'm watching the no fly list videos. Like mm. I'm watching all the, I'm fucking celebrating the hacker girl. Yeah. And I do, I want to say girl, but woman, either way, I do want to point out that it was not a fucking dude in a basement. Yep. Uh, and her ass was on Twitter like, I'm doing this right now. What's up, right. parlor? Suck my dick. Lisa um, is referring to a female hacker who <laughs> downloaded all of the parlor history ever. Parlor mm-hmm. being the right wing, terrible, racist website that everyone's getting arrested from now. That was built on WordPress, so all she yes. had to do was figure out an admin's email address, well, it, and then and part say of it was like my a, password, like a free well, trial too, right, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. like Okta is like stand. It's pretty standard for security. We use it, but like it, yeah, a free trial is insane. And then I started looking at all of the other fucking social media platforms that are out there that I had no idea existed that are even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... Ugh. Yeah, where's everybody going now? To Gump? or Gab. Eat? Gab. Gabby. And then there's, Gab, Gab. there's another one that's like Weemy or something. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I will not. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. But yeah, I'm like, I've just been like looking at the fun shit and the cool shit that people are doing. I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, matter, matter of time before pitchforks come from a tattooed liberal ass. Mm. I did yeah. look at how to move to Canada, but like, other than that. Expensive oh, no, and sure hard to do. Making sure our passports are in order. Just ready to go. Yeah, my therapist said Costa Rica, which I'm like, that sounds more fun, actually. It it would be your dollar goes. Yeah, farther. I was gonna say cheaper to go south, mm-hmm. and closer for us, mm-hmm. considering all of that. Yeah, and then you're still in a time zone where you can keep your American job and work during the day. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Ireland because I want that sweet EU passport. Yeah, but I want to learn a- another language. Too old. Irish. Mm-mm. Gaelic? It's not a real. It's not a real. It's not a real language. Why do you have to learn another language? No, I don't want to have to learn another. That's language. That's why she wants to go. So oh. I want to go to Ireland, so I don't have to. And I thought you were like saying, "Well, won't you learn Irish?" And I was just like, "That's not a real." No. I mean, I know it is, but it's you don't have to. Sorry for my presence today. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a fun that's a fun for funsies language at this point. Boy, that's the most. I'm cutting that out. That's not nice at all. <laughs> it's a fine tongue. Okay, oh. a fine tongue, huh? Hmm. Huh. Well, welcome <gasps> to Weird Brunch. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the fine tongues yes. of Weird Brunch. I know. Yeah, I'm Whitney Lamond. Mm-hmm. I'm Lisa Friedrich's tongue. Mm-hmm. And Karina already. Oh, and I'm still Karina. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I'll I'll chop it up so it all makes. Chop no, it. No. <laughs> uh, she's our mixologist. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. That always reminds me of Red Robin. Like Red Robin, <laughs> yum, like the place. Yeah. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> yum. I like that you full named Red Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call their bartenders, mixologists, because they can make like three kinds of Shirley Temple. I don't know. Mm. That's what a lot of Dacker. bar tenders call themselves a lot of loser bartenders call themselves mm-hmm. that. like fedora yeah, i bartended for a very long time and if anyone ever referred to me as a mixologist i would have just probably made him a vodka soda and been like sure buddy here's a mixology cocktail that everyone orders constantly just pee in it yeah. a little oh here's my personal <laughs> mix <laughs> why is adding so personal weird. to it the most upsetting part of that you said it was my pee I don't it would be worse if it was someone else's pee here's my impersonal mix it's not my like favorite pee here's but it'll do in a pinch yeah. exactly I've got seven species of pee which one do you want yeah. this one I only ate asparagus okay I like how your mask looks like a kicky scarf. That's nice. My what? Oh, <laughs> is that a mask? Yeah, it just. Mm, yeah, you just pulled down. Yeah. Lisa's wearing a mask even in her own house. That's cool. I trust no one. You know. Sure. sure. I gotta say, it's fun listening to all the legislators argue with masks on. It really mm. like put a fun, muffled, lispy spin on everything. Mm-hmm. I think the, I know we need to get into stories, but the main reason I didn't watch today is because I watched the other, I think I said this already, that I watched the other night and I realized like there are representatives and shit that are younger than me and that are racist as fuck and it just pissed me off and annoyed Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So I just can't, I can't anymore. Also, who... Who is Nancy Pelosi's? Who is doing her fucking eighty-year-old hair? Because it, they're doing great. <laughs> I really need to know. She does um, look Italian. good. It's just yeah. Italian hair, you know. It holds up well. Yeah, but like be a wig. Not and that's yes. The wig is a good mm-hmm. point. I not to like you know propagate anything, but like how many babies is she eating? <laughs> To keep their body the right amount, okay, like an acceptable, not excessive yeah. amount. According to Q, just one a week. <laughs> God, and they're aborted babies; like they're not even full blown, so it doesn't even matter, right? Um, they're just stem cells. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a little like sprinkled on, like like uh, sprouts on your salad. Oh, that's just like, eh. okay. Oh, all right. Uh, well, who wants to go first? Mm-mm. That made me want to throw up. I'll go, I'll go first because I haven't gone first in a while. Yeah, it's I'll been a while. while. I'll take a day. Ready to do it. All right. We're going to go all the way back. I think the very first episode I talked about ballooning because I love balloons so much. So oh, I yeah. think it's about time for another balloon story. Yay! Bring back balloons. Bring back balloons. Insert balloon story jingle there. So we're going to talk about the Gordon Bennett Cup, 
which is the world's oldest gas balloon race. It started in 1906, and it is an unusual race because it's not a race for speed because these are hot air balloons. It is simple. You just, everybody starts at the same spot, and then they see who can get the furthest before they crash. <laughs> so as you can... You as said you can gas, guess, right? Gas, like hot air balloon, or, mm-hmm. or you know, Hindenburg. whatever it takes to make it go up. But yeah, mm-hmm. Got it. So as you can imagine, many people have died doing this. Um, it ran from 1906 to 1938, uh, except for World War One, when they didn't do anything. And then in 1939, they were going to start it off in Poland, but Nazis. Uh, mm-hmm. So that kind of killed the race for a while. It was started by Gordon Bennett, who was the publisher of the New York Herald. So he's like a really rich guy, huge sporting enthusiast. He put up all the money and had a little statue carved of like a balloon that you win. I, it's not little, I guess. It's like a Stanley Cup. It's it's big. Anyway, it's big and heavy, which is ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so he started this because he loved balloons, and then he later had so much success with it that a couple of years later he started an airplane race and an auto racing race, both of which only lasted about 10 years because those are just people going around in circles. Mm. Uh, and this is people going to who, know, who the hell knows where for how, who the hell knows how long. Uh, question? Yeah. When you say auto racing, you mean like NASCAR? Uh, yeah, although it was, was started in 1910, so I think it was more like whatever you could put together. Okay. There was no like standard anything. This was one of the earliest auto races was his thing. I just feel like the very first car and the very second car ever made because of mm-hmm. You know, the the mine can go bigger than yours. Yeah. I just feel like they would have raced already. Sorry. Yeah. I think this is the first time there's money involved. Something like okay. that. Yeah. Got it. Dollars. So famously, uh, the first incident was, there's a whole section in Wikipedia just called incidents. And it's <laughs> longer than the description of this race. <laughs> That's uh, so uh, in 1908, this balloon called Conqueror uh, that was being <laughs> flown by Holland Forbes and Augustus Post. All of these sound like <laughs> the chocolate factory names. Uh, was the biggest balloon and it was 80 feet high all by itself. Biggest balloon ever made. And uh, because it was so big, it hit a fence right after it took off, lost a couple of bags, popped, and basically landed on top of somebody's roof in Berlin. So that was cute. There's like a big picture of like this housing that's just got a balloon laying on top of it. Uh, but two years later, uh, they set a, a record. So like, you know, just keep trying. Um, but that record, unfortunately, came at a cost after landing on someone's roof in Germany in 1910. They accidentally wandered off into the Canadian wilderness of Quebec where nobody was a whole week passed without word from the team and everybody assumed they were dead, but I guess some fur trapper found them and dragged them out of the woods and they telegrammed from somewhere in Canada uh, saying we made it. And they were like, Oh, well uh, I guess you win. So they won. <laughs> this is the kind of race we're talking about. 
Yeah, um, where a fur trapper has to save your life. Jesus. 1923, five competitors were killed by lightning, and then six more were smashed to the ground by storms. So this is this is an intense kind of thing. 1939, it's done because of Nazis. 1979, an American named Tom Heinsheimer uh, got permission from the last winners who were just about to die to take the trophy and start a new comp- competition. And uh, it was kind of in an amateur phase until 1983. And in 1983, the Federation Aeronautique Internationale, which is, I guess, the governing body of ballooning, um, sanctioned it. And in 1983, the cup was back. And it was back in its original form. Start in one place. See how far you can get. Whoever gets the farthest wins. And immediately, they ran into problems. So here's where I get to dive no. in. 1983 was an interesting year for ballooning. Ballooning had been making a comeback in the 70s. <laughs> so, like, people were really excited about it because this guy from Albuquerque, New Mexico, named Classic Maxine, Balloon Capital, baby. Well, here's why. It's because of this dude named Maxie Anderson. <laughs> Maxie, who late in his life wore an eye patch for reasons nobody knows, uh, became a millionaire, multimillionaire, because of uranium mines that his father started in Oklahoma and that he then prospected in New Mexico and found all sorts of copper and stuff like that. Big mining guy owned a ton of land between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. He got rich, he got bored, he wanted to balloon around. So he got a couple of people to join him on a mission to balloon across the Atlantic. It was the one form of crossing the Atlantic that had never been accomplished. Nobody had ever taken a hot air balloon from America to Europe, a la Charles Lindbergh. Um, so it would Max be Anderson, cold. Sorry. It would be cold. <laughs> That's what they found out the first two times they tried when they crashed. So he and, uh, hold on, sorry, he and Ben Abruzzo Mm -hmm. and Ed Yost all built this uh, balloon called the Double Eagle. They launched it in 1977 from Massachusetts and uh, crashed in Iceland, which didn't quite count as crossing the Atlantic. So they went back. Wait, why doesn't that count? Because no, you gotta get all the way to Europe. Yeah, yeah, it's like halfway. Iceland's like halfway through the Atlantic. So they were like, "Okay, we'll try again." They get the double eagle two, and are, that's launched. a sex position, right? Like, yes, golf. it is. Isn't okay. it also mm-hmm. golf? It's. I think it's probably a golf reference. Although the fact that he was a big Charles Lindbergh fan and wore an eye patch and named himself Maxie and the double eagle is the symbol of old Prussia. I think he's a Nazi. Anyway, oh, so in 1978... Not it. <laughs> yeah, uh, they launched from Presca Isle in Maine, and then, lo and behold, five harrowing days later, which are written about in a best-selling book called Double Eagle, if you want to look it up, uh, landed in Misery, France on August 17th. <laughs> On this feat, they were hailed as heroes and awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in 1979, it was a distance record, 3,108 miles, and a duration record of 137 hours for the sport. 
longer and farther than anything that had ever been done in the Gordon Bennett Cup. And that's one of the reasons the Gordon Bennett Cup got going again. So after that historic you know, attempt and success, he was like, now I want to fly around the world. And he, an built a bigger balloon, and he built a bigger balloon called Jules Verne. Hey. <laughs> and he said, hey, Ben Abruzzo. Hey, Larry Newman. Hey, adios to all the people who flew across the Atlantic with me. Let's go around the world. And they're like, nah. That was, <laughs> we were cold. That was <laughs> scary. We almost died in Iceland. No. So he's like, okay. And he looked around for a ballooning partner. And he found one in a tree farmer from Colorado named Johnny Appleseed. No, almost Don Ida. And Don Ida was just a guy who owned a tree farm and a historic house in Longmont, Colorado. And one day in the late seventies, he was driving around and saw a hot air balloon. He was like, Hey, I want to do that. And then I was flying my own balloons. These are the kinds of people who fly balloons. (laughs) So he meets Maxie Anderson and they join up. And they practice and they practice and they start doing their around the world trips in 1980 and 81. They keep taking off in Turkey and landing in India. So they're not really doing great. We keep crashing in the middle of India. There's some great footage on YouTube from AP archival footage from 1980 of them crashing in New Delhi and cops like holding back crowds who are trying to like mob the balloon, figure out what the hell just happened while they just kind of casually stand around looking like, Oh dude, crashed like it was <laughs> dude totally crashed um three tries never worked on the third try he said you know what i'm gonna leave it to the next generation to try this implying hint hint that his son should do it his son instead ended up running the vineyard that they founded in new mexico and lends this family its tremendous wealth to this day they basically own albuquerque the vineyard promotes balloon festivals, and that's one of the reasons Albuquerque is so associated with ballooning. Uh, so 1983, after all these attempts, Don Ida and Maxie Anderson are like, well, the Gordon Bennett comes back. Let's do it. This is our last hurrah. We're not going to go around the world, but let's get up there and let's show these guys that we can stay up and go as far as anybody ever has before. Mm. It takes off in Paris the way the festival uh, the way the contest works by the way whatever team wins hosts it the next time so I guess a French team won the year before okay it takes off from Paris most people uh, steer themselves and veer south and southeast to go towards you know Africa in the Middle East large faraway land masses they went just east and the problem with that in 1983 became very apparent cold war cold war when they came really close to east german airspace mm-hmm. and they're frantically on the radio with the east germans saying hey can we float over your country and the east germans were like no because they had just famously had a hot air balloon lift that got people from East Germany to western you guys remember this you know this history story from the 70s like there's a famous a bunch of East Germans wanted to escape over the Berlin Wall, and they used hot air balloons to do it. So the East Germans were like, nine, we fucking hate balloons. <laughs> also, we're pretty sure you're a Nazi and we're communist. So that's just my 
editorializing. Also, sure nine and nines. Nine? Well, Loans. Yeah. Here's the thing. yeah, nine that that song that ninety nine loop balloons is about the balloon escape from Germany. You did is it? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So the problem with the balloon though is you can't. There's no steering wheel, so they're going into East German airspace, and the East Germans are like, "No, we'll, we'll kill you." And they're like, "Ah!" So they try to land real fast. And they take their balloon down and they have these like little tiny devices that detach the basket basically from the balloon. They uh, blow it, but it doesn't quite detach. So their basket's just kind of dangling by two strings. And then a gust of wind starts lifting them up. And then the other two blow and they drop to the earth and die. So Max Anderson and Don Ida die on the border of East Germany and I think Poland uh, in 1983. Did they find out what was under that eye patch? (laughs) I can't find any information about why the hell he was wearing an eye patch. The best I could find was a UPI uh, obit where it's just said a flamboyant man whose trademark in recent years was a black eye patch over his right eye for reasons he would not disclose. Some fucking mystery method bullshit. That's <laughs> some weird stuff. Um, so anyway, the first year back for this cup and uh, people are already dying. But it got a lot of good publicity, y'all. And uh, the people who did eventually win it did set some records, the people from Poland who went the right way. And it took off from Switzerland the next year because they were like, we're not starting it off in Poland again. That was bad luck for this balloon race. It's still going to this day. So you might be thinking, oh, well, you know, tragic death, East Germany, that'll never happen again. So the reason it's still going is because it's all been safe and sound. No. Not at all, guys. Uh, 1995, uh, two team members from Germany set the the, the time in the air record at 92 hours and 11 minutes, which is five days. And uh, that was like a big thing that was in all the newspapers. Also in the newspapers, the fact that a USA ballooning team accidentally floated into Belarusian airspace Mm. in Belarus even though it had been freed from the USSR, uh, was not a fan of the United States. Hmm. And uh, apparently the race organizers had called Belarus and said, hey, we took off from Switzerland. There's a good chance we're going to drift over your country. Just heads up. It's just hot air balloons. We're not trying to do anything crazy. It's just hot air balloons. We can literally... Literally can't control it. No control. We shouldn't be doing this. Whatever, fine, fine, fine. And then when the three three American balloons showed up, they sent an attack helicopter up, gunned one of the balloons down, killing both the passengers. Uh, the other balloon made an emergency crash landing because they did not want to be shot down. And the other one managed to escape to Estonia, just like hightailed it north. So this was a major international incident in 1995 because essentially a former Russian army military helicopter just shot down two American pilots, civilian, but still to this day, Belarus has not apologized. Uh, (laughs) Basically saying you can go to war with us if you want, but don't fucking fly your balloons over our land. That's we're taking our stance and we're sticking to it. Right. I just, 
And they had to, they obviously knew that like the people flying the balloons and all this, they knew that that was going to be an issue. And yet. Yep. I mean, but they're still doing it. That's just stupid. I'm mad now. 2005, another team set the record for distance of 3,400 kilometers. It was huge. Uh, and then the next in 2010 came back to try to break their own record. Uh, but they ended up somewhere over the ocean and were not seen again uh, for two months. Totally disappeared uh, in October. In December, the balloon's cabin containing the bodies was recovered by an Italian fishing boat. So, when you say cabin. Yeah, now they have little gondolas. So it's not just a basket anymore. They like make a little mm-hmm. lightweight okay. enclosed gondola so they can go up high without dying. Do they just shit over the side? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I, I did I, not look that up. I assume they have some kind of like little biohazard type crate thing that they can like, you know, like store their poops in. And then whenever they end up landing, I think they would pee out of the side. But shitting I'm off the side, it's a well, situation. shitting yeah, off the side is really hard. They probably well, have a little I, seat with a hole and it just goes down. Oh, you know, that's true. And, and just there it goes. That's, I think I stand away. with Belarus on this then. <laughs> I don't need your fucking shit falling from the sky onto my country. So. So it's been going from, uh, you know, 1983 all the way up to the present date, despite people dying on the regular, uh, almost no press attention. You've never heard of this. Nobody cares, but it's still going hell or high water. Nothing can stop it, except it didn't run in 2020 because of COVID. Go figure. A hot air balloon race where the goal is to go as high and as far away from everything as possible was canceled due to COVID. (laughs) And that's the end of that story. What a weird thing to be like. They're so magical, right? But the practicality Mm -hmm. like, and safety of a hot air balloon is just, you got like a 50-50 shot, maybe. (laughs) Even if it's in a controlled environment, like it's still fucking dangerous. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just just love that a guy was like, he crossed the Atlantic. He got his Congressional Medal of Freedom. Mm. He was like, now I want to do more. And all of his friends were like, "Mm, no. I think he took their hobby to its fullest. And then like, you know, five years later, he dies in East Germany. It sounds like everyone who tried to up their own achievement in the ballooning community dies. Like, oh, we did it. Which is like. Successfully. It's nope. a good lesson. Yeah. There's your 50 shot. It's a good, and the lesson is we have invented airplanes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't yes. have to do this. Yes. Yeah. I, okay. Would you go in a hot air balloon? Yeah, I did. New Mexico. Lisa, would it was you great. go in a hot air balloon? Hmm. I think there's a lot of stipulations I need to know about, but generally, no. 
I I feel like I was a yes until well, like what was it like two years ago that that horrific hot air balloon accident happened where in San Marcos, right outside it might have been in Austin. Remember, like eighteen people died. It was like electrocuted or something. Do y'all remember that? Mm. I feel like it was very recent within the past five years for sure. But I don't know. I don't know, man. But can I go next? Or Lisa, do you want to go next? You can go. Sorry, I had my mic muted because I'm moving around. Mic (laughs) moving. Okay, cool. Don't edit that out. It's really. Um, Oh, wait, is she frozen? Mm-hmm. Does that mean she moved the mic around? Fire. Oh wait, just like there's it. movement. Oh. There she is. There she is. Wait, Lisa, you there? Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. Okay. Cool. Okay, let's fucking go back to the wonderful world of the 1800s. Um, wasn't that wonderful actually? But fuck it. So there's this guy. His name is John Murray Spear. Uh, he is really, he grows up in the Boston area, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, he grows up in the Universalist Church of America, which sounds kind of weird, but it's actually pretty open-minded. They're now known as the Unitarian Universalist Church, which is a liberal religion characterized by a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Unitarian Universalists assert no creed, but are instead unified by their shared shirts of spiritual growth. So yeah, I used to, I did that for a while. Okay. I did like six years in that. So it originally, before the no creed thing came around in the Mm nineties, before that it was Unitarian, one God, Universalist, no hell. One God, no hell. And that was it. It was the only things they believed in. Okay. And the Universalists, the original Universalists who like in- included most of the early U.S. presidents. Hmm. So like a really big religion in early time. That was their whole thing is that there's no such thing as hell. Yeah. So you, you can do whatever you want on earth and you won't go to hell. Yeah. Weren't they People like hated real, that? Weren't they like the initial like real chill with uh, LGBTQ? And co- no, still with everything. Yeah. They're like, there's mm-hmm. no hell. So he Everybody's is dead. our guy. John Spear, he's really into the Universalist Church. He studies theology. He ends up becoming a minister in 1830. And from his pulpit in New England, he advocates for nonviolence, the end of slavery and the death penalty, equal rights for African-Americans and for women. And he organized the first Universalist anti-slavery convention and helped oversee the the stretch of the underground railroad that ran through Boston. So mm-hmm. this guy is doing great shit and something happens to him in December <laughs> of 1844. So at this point he's born in 1804. So he's like about 40. Uh, he attends a controversial lecture about Uh, by an anti-Catholic speaker in Portland, Maine. And after he leaves, he ends up getting jumped by this group of whoever and they beat shit out of him until he's 
like when he gets found, he's comatose. And I searched and searched and couldn't find for how long he was in a coma for. But I do know that he was fucked up from his injuries for about six months. Like they really beat the shit out of him. So while he was comatose, he had these visions, right? Kind of like near death experience. So he wakes Mm -hmm. up with this new kind of feeling about life. And he ends up reading a book called The Principles of Nature, Her Divine Revelations, and A Voice to Mankind. That is the the title of the book. You can still go buy it. It's made in 18... What is that noise? Y'all hear that? Is that just me? It might be me. I hear it. I think it might be the PlayStation. Oh, okay. I have no idea. Altergeist shit. Altergeist shit. So it's okay. He he reads the principle of nature, blah, 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 1847. And he says it's the most wonderful work ever made by a mortal man. He says that like everything about it is just wonderful. And he, so the book is about like, it's, it's very heady shit. It predicts scientific discovery. It talks about higher planes of consciousness, the laws of nature, of evolution, the validity, and the bastardization of the Bible, enlightenment, all this, you know, stuff that people love to just think about. The author of this book is a guy named Andrew Jackson Davis. And at the time, he was known as the Poughkeepsie Seer. Ooh. Uh, so when the book comes out, Andrew Jackson Davis is like, I didn't even really write this book. This entire novel was dictated to me while I was in a trance and I spoke the words to my scribe and my scribe wrote down the entire thing. So this whole book in general came from another plane of being. So now we're Mormons. It's not a religious, I mean, I mean, I guess it could be taken religiously, but this isn't like a book that people are following and creating a religion from it. But it is part of the spiritualist movement, which is what Davis is kind of a proponent of. So we know the spiritualist movement from the 19th century because, um, well, was it Harry Houdini who was like extremely anti like so spirit spiritualists believe that there was proof after life and that you could communicate with the spirits if you, you know, knew how to do it. And I think we've talked about the Fox sisters before who who would like have seances and like knock under Mm -hmm. the table and stuff. And they duped a lot of people into thinking that they were able to communicate with the dead. And Houdini was Mm -hmm. the one who was like, when I die, I'm, and I'm going to come back to my wife and that will prove that spiritualism basically doesn't exist because he didn't think it was possible. And obviously that never happened. So the spiritualist movement is 
everyone's like real into it across America because they're like, fuck yeah, we want to do witchy shit and have seances and like use a Ouija board and like we totally love mediums and all that stuff. Um, I want to talk to my dead grandma. Sure. And I mean, you don't have TV. This is just as good. Have some girl come over and knock on your walls and make you all spooked out. So um, our, our guy, John Murray Spear is like, I'm into spiritualism. What I saw when I was in my coma kind of lines up with this stuff. I just read this book and I'm kind of ready to go all in on this. So in 1851, Spear meets Davis, the author of the book, and they have a chat. After this talk, Davis is like, John Spear, you are a model citizen. I love what you're doing you're philanthropic. What you should do is open yourself further to the spirits. They will come to you if you open yourself. And (laughs) our guy spear is like, you know what? You're fucking right. I'm opening myself. And within the next few months, he's attending seances. He's quote, speaking to the dead on his own. He's delivering spontaneous channeled speeches and writing messages from people beyond the grave, including the person he was named after, John Murray, Murray, who was one of the founders of universalism. By the end of mm-hmm. uh, 1852, Spear has a huge roster of correspondents who are dead that are giving him these assignments and wisdom, whatever you want to call it. On his list of deceased speakers, he has John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and a lot more founding fathers. And all of them are like, we're talking to you because we're pissed at the way America is going. We were revolutionaries and we need this shit to get done. So after he spews out a few things and no one's really taking him seriously, he's like, you know what? We need to go harder. And within a year, the spirits are delivering orders for radical government changes in social structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Spear starts gathering followers and uh, we're these followers and him are going to try and implement this shit in 1853. That implementation took the form of Spears announcement that the spirits, especially Benjamin Franklin, were going to share with him an invention. The new motor or the new motive power, which was like a generator, but it's okay. It's, it's a wild concept. Okay. At its simplest, Spear described it as a perpetual motion device that has the power to impart its electric forces to any number of machines. At its most complex, it was a God machine, the culmination 
of what Spear called Whoa. a grand practical movement for the redemption of the human race. Sure. So Spear is going to create a living, working mechanism that would bear offspring a race of self-replicating, self-powering machines as a remedy to the curse of Adam. And the curse of Adam is humanity's need to earn wages and food by working. And the new motor would bring around Edenic leisure for all people, ending slavery, farming, factory work, housework, all of it. And because people don't have to work anymore, they'll be free to open up their minds and their spirits to be mentally connected with like the spiritual world and the new motive power. Dude, this went galaxy brain on me. Uh, that, that was a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. So the weirdest, okay. So that kind of idea to me is very like, uh, it's more of like an idea. Like, sure, you can think that you want to do this, but having a machine that does it for you and for the yeah. world is, is, to me, there's a huge disconnect there. But he has plans for how to build this thing. So for the next nine months, Spear goes into daily trances, drawing designs for every as- aspect of the device. Oh, yeah. uh, and he's getting these design ideas from all of his, you know, super high powered spiritual dead friends that he talks to all right. the time. Uh, they, in 1854, yes, they're constructing this machine in High Rock Cottage in Lynn, Massachusetts. The motor is, um, it's made. Okay. So sorry. There's a lot, obviously. (laughs) Spear has 200 recorded revealments detailing the instructions on tools and all the stuff you need to make it. The machine is made from copper, zinc, some magnets, everything that these electricizers, which are the spirits, are telling him to do. So Spear had no scientific background or comprehensive knowledge. (laughs) And his followers are like, you know what? This is just fucking evidence that his visions are genuine because he wouldn't even know all of this shit. So we (laughs) totally believe it. People have not changed. There was a newspaper called um, The New Era, which is a practical spiritualist paper and they detailed the construction of this quote electrical infant uh claiming that the the device corresponded to the human body the machine consisted of a black walnut table with insulated legs topped by a series of copper zinc iron and magnetic plates from there, two magnetized struts rose from either side, suspe- suspending magne- magnetized balls on copper chains between them. 
Later descriptions also included details like hair-like antennae to conduct etheric power. So etheric power is like a, it's, it's a, the idea that basically like your aura, like it's extracting etheric power from you based on your like fucking energy or whatever. Getting your vibe. It's picking up on your vibes and that's how it's powered. All in all, Spear and his followers end up spending about $2,000 on the construction of this mechanical baby, uh, which is about 50 grand today. Uh, (laughs) His old buddy who wrote that book that changed him so much goes, uh, Andrew Jackson Davis goes up to see what's going on. He's like, well, this is horrifying. Um, I'm not 100% sure that's what I meant to open yourself up spiritually. Uh, this makes me um, very uncomfortable. I think that he said that uh, Spear suffered from, quote, the terrible misfortune of being easily imposed upon by his own impulses, saying he mistakes them at least two thirds of the time for impressions from in higher, higher intelligences. So basically, Every idea that Spears, yeah, every idea that Spears Spear has is he thinks it's coming to him from other spirits, and it's not just him going like, "Well, what if we added antennas to it, like mm-hmm. get out the magnets?" <laughs> so this, just, I mean, this sounds like every manic bipolar break I've ever heard of <laughs> with followers, which would normally mean kind of cult, right? It's a little culty. So Davis is all fucked up about this, but they, I mean, no one's stopping him. Like do what you want to do with your followers, like build it. Uh, Spear decides that this woman named Sarah Newton, who is one of Spears's followers wives He's like, you're going to be the new mother of the new motive power. You're the Mary. Right. Mm. Mm. Upon accepting her new role, Newton began Mm. living at the laboratory full time in order to maintain an umbilical link with Mm. the device. I want to leave this session. (laughs) From there, Spear and the rest of the spiritualists made daily efforts to etherically charge the machine and infuse it with life. A lot of people thought that those exercises were probably sexually related because I don't know how else. She was fucking the machine. How else do you get all the... No, she's not fucking the machine because the machine (laughs) is the baby. But I think they were fucking around the machine to etherically charge it with their energies. Right? Yeah, sure. The final stage of this experiment happens nine months later. Mm. On June 29th, 1854, Spear encases mm-hmm. himself in a suit made of metal, gemstones, plates, and copper strips. 
He's brought into gradual contact with the machine before slipping into a deep trance. Clairvoyants are present at the ritual and they say that they can see an umbilical like cord linking from him to the machine and from him. Yes. From him Mm -hmm. to the machine. Of course. And through fear, They'll see anything you paint. Yes. Through mm-hmm. fear in his trance, he says that the electrolyte the electricizers are telling him that Mary of the new dispensation, our mother figure, also needs to be brought mm-hmm. in. She Make like, it. all right, here I am, sprawls on the ground. <laughs> has labor pains for over two hours. And when the Mm -hmm. supposed contractions finally stop, she goes and touches the device. And they say that the device springs to life and starts moving. Like the machine gears and shit start moving in it. And everyone's like, Oh "Oh my God. But it has to be a movie over the course of the next few days. The machine's movements become nearly imperceptible. Uh, people weird, so weird. People think that does it run out of sex gas? I, I assume, like, ew, ew. how much sex gas does a baby need is a real question. And that's kind of what they're saying. They're like, well, Damn. yeah, this is a newborn baby machine. Of course, it's not moving around that much. It's like not even mature yet y'all are stupid mary comes back and she's like i'm gonna give this machine some maternal attention does that mean she tries to breastfeed a table with magnets on it maybe mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. so they're doing this in hopes that the machine will gain strength over time but despite their efforts it doesn't really work and everyone in high rock is like you know what we're fucking pissed that y'all are still here your stupid god machine is a fraud and fuck you and spears is like you know what y'all don't want us here fine we're gonna dismantle our new baby and we're gonna move it to another place they move it into so i guess they're pro-choice yeah oh Universalists never forget, but mm-hmm. uh, they move the machine to Randolph, New York, hoping to utilize the area's superior magnetic energies for their experiments. But while they're there and about to assemble it, the news of the God machine being in town spreads, and a group of local young men break into their compound tear out the machine's copper heart and throw it into a local mill pond and shatter the rest of it into pieces. Was there oh, a reason yeah. other than we're youths? The reason <laughs> is that probably didn't happen. Evil. They think Spear oh. made that whole thing up because People have gone back and gone through newspapers and there are two newspapers that were in that place at the time and there was never anything reported about a mob or anyone breaking into a anywhere and destroying the God machine. They think he made it up. And despite the failure for the entire public population watching 
Spear and his followers said it was a spiritual victory. Uh, It was a model for the embodiment of the idea, which Mm -hmm. is such an answer to everything. Uh, He never stopped trying to bring about the divine social state on earth that the new motive power had promised. Um. He wanted. He still wanted to try and treat men and women equally, all the races and religious religions equal, all that fun stuff. But it never got really past the failure of his god machine. And this was all Ben Franklin's idea, right? Or Ben mm-hmm. Franklin and like Thomas Jefferson and all those founding fathers who were speaking through him. Uh, he died in 1887 at age 83. And despite all of his work for abolitionism, women's rights, ev- prisoners' rights, and his 39 years of spiritual practice, there was no mention of the goal which he had dedicated his life to and which ultimately mm. escaped him. The table baby. Table baby. Table baby. Yep. That's so. That's what the fuck people were doing right after the last civil war. I'm calling right now a civil war. Mm. Imagine, oh god, what? It, <laughs> do I even want to see what we're going to be doing in like 15 years? Oh, we're already doing it. People are. Already I'm sure doing there it. are we table babies. I mean, now you can oh, buy yeah. like your fake real babies Dog. and shit online or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I sure do. Whatever. I dated a guy whose mom had a whole room of Ugh. real babies. I don't want real babies. Like it was a nursery. That's disgusting. In a nursery. Yikes. I never saw it. Thank God. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever want to see something like that. But yeah, sorry. God. That was my long story about the God machine. Woo. That. Poor woman. I mean, she sounded like she was into it. Yeah, but then, like, if she... Okay, but, like, five years after... Let's say she, like, comes to at some point, mm-hmm. And then she has to, like, sit there and remember that day that she laid on the floor imitating giving birth and mm-hmm. being like, man, I fucking... I did that for this thing that doesn't work that's bullshit. And she has to live with that. I mean, honestly, a woman who was living in the 1850s probably had to live with a bunch of other weird shit, too. So, yeah, she's probably well compensated in some way. Okay. Etheric energy. Bet she ever had to fucking vote either. (laughs) Nope. Your girl in a mood. Whitney, that's the craziest fucking. That's. That has to be a movie. There's got to be a movie with this. It's too good. It should. It, just, it, it sounds like a movie that would be, it, it kind of makes me think of like those ones that were made. What's the Hugh Grant movie where he's two people, he's like his twin magician or whatever. And then the other one's the prestige. Yeah. The illusionist. Something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Illusionist and the prestige. Yeah. Yes. Twin magicians movie. Yeah. Like they should make one like that. Because wasn't it Tesla who was in that movie? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it just sounds like um, 
Frankenstein, but they actually tried it in the dumbest way possible. Right? For the dumbest reasons possible. With magnets. It's Frank. With magnets. With magnets. Like a machine. Can you imagine someone trying to tell that story on Drunk History? <laughs> There's I think we just yeah. got that. <laughs> I'm not I'm only two vodka citizen. I'm not drunk yet. It's there's just mm-hmm. a lot of moving pieces and like yeah. 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 Moving pieces. I um I'm mad about it. You can still buy I don't know if I said that, but you can still buy that book on Amazon, the one that changed his life that that guy wrote and the Amazon reviews for it are pretty, pretty funny to read because it's all people who are like really into spiritual shit. Cause I tried to look up a summary of the book on Amazon and Goodreads and all the summaries are just like, this is a reprint of the original from 18, whatever. And so I had to delve into those reviews and they're interesting. I kind of want to read it, but then I don't want to make a table. It's very dense. And also, to be fair, Davis, the guy who wrote it, was not a fan of Spear making the table and all that shit. He thought it was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Do y'all want to go further back in time? Yes. Let's keep finding it. Um, so I want to talk about, uh, when a a bunch of people quote unquote tried to kill a king with necromancy. (laughs) Ooh, it's spooky. Um, (laughs) so 15th century England, uh, we're going to talk about Roger Bolingbroke. He was an Oxford scholar a cleric, a magister, and part of the household of Humphrey of Lancaster, the first Duke of Gloucester. And, and also uh, a Shakespeare character, right? Mm-hmm. I, probably. I know that the king... Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, he was also the personal clerk to the Duke's wife, the Duchess Eleanor Cobham. <laughs> Got her ass. Um, uh, Bolingbroke was also into astrology and alchemy, and he would give horoscope readings to Eleanor. Um, Something to note here is in a few of the things that I read, they were kind of interchangeably using astrology and astronomy because I think back in them days – uh, it was kind of considered the same. Anyway, hmm. Hmm. so uh, Bolingbroke meets a witch, uh oh, and then just tumbles down a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> So in 1432, Bolingbroke meets the Witch of Eye, which sounds like a euphemism for. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Marjorie Jordemaine, Maine, Jordemaine, uh, and not much is known about her. Uh, we do know that she 
married a uh, cow herder, but just kind of livestock in general, named William Jordemain. Um, and that's literally like kind of where it starts and ends as far as like before all of these things happen. So low social class, married to a, a livestock dude. Um, and then she starts uh, moving in like extravagant social circles. So all of a sudden uh, this like po- old peasanty woman is just kind of showing up in the houses of the lords and ladies. Um, okay. Which like that's already starting some rumors, right? It's like, who's the smelly one? Um <laughs> She became known for peddling various magic potions and telling fortunes and giving horoscope predictions. And again, this is in the 1400s, which is one of the reasons um, why she and Bolingbroke got along so well, right? They're kind of in the same industry. Um, And they first met when she was doing a prison stint for sorcery at Windsor Castle. Do you get out of this? You did at the time. So at the time... That's nice. um, Yeah, that was lenient. Yeah. Yeah, at the time, it was kind of like, um, yeah, we know that you're doing witchcraft and sorcery and astrology and shit. We know it's happening. We're not going to fuck with you about it and unless it starts getting like you're coming for us. Um, and so of note, in 1437, witches had been arrested in London and accused of plotting the death of the king. Um, and it's possible that Marjorie was one of these seven. That's not mm-hmm. confirmed because they were all of the like history back then were like these seven witches. <laughs> Um, she gets out of prison and she goes right back to what she's doing, witchcraft, y'all. And she's out here talking to noble folks and giving advice to generals about political decisions and strategies for battle. Um, and so since she's talking to these higher ups, the authorities are kind of like, I think she's doing that thing. She said she wasn't going to, but uh, whatever. She... Becomes BFF with Bolingbroke and Thomas Southwell, who was also a physician and astrologer. And they both worked for Eleanor. Therefore, Marjorie, the witch of eye, gets to know Eleanor, too. Um, And it's rumored that Eleanor bought love potions from her from the witch of eye to make Duke Humphrey fall in love with her. Um, and that is, it kind of makes sense because, uh, Humphrey was supposed to marry Countess of Hainault, Jacqueline. Um, but then he had an affair with Eleanor, who was actually Jacqueline's lady in waiting. So probably a love potion and not just trickery. Uh, you know, Jude Law never fucked the nanny on purpose. Um, let's see where 
Oh, Eleanor later said that she had sought Marjorie's help in conceiving a child with the help of a special image or images points, uh, which then is kind of like, oh, Marjorie must have had a reputation for fertility magic. Um, Because, yeah, she was hanging out with Eleanor, but she's also hanging out with these other ladies of court. So then it's kind of like, oh, all these women are trying to get pregnant with uh, Marjorie's help. Hmm. Quick politics thing. King Henry VI is the king I am talking about. Uh, and he became king at nine months old. Uh, at the time that we're talking about, he's a teen. Um, so he's unmarried. He has no heirs. And if something were to happen to him, uh, the throne goes to Duke Humphrey, Eleanor's husband because he was Henry's uncle and quote, Lord protector. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. I don't know why Lord protector bums me out. Um, I also don't know why it's not like a name for a condom. <laughs> um, so Eleanor kind of, you know, she's clearly putting all these pieces together um, and she's like, oh, if that dude dies, I'm fucking queen, bitch. Uh, so Eleanor starts to like obsess over how things would turn out for the teen king, 18 at the time, because in October, spooky season of 1440, she asked her astrology witch friends to give a horoscope reading for their king. I imagine this as like, a bunch of John Early's hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, bitch, let's get this motherfucker. Um, so they do the horoscope reading for the king. Uh, and what they do is they contact the dead for answers. <laughs> Hello. And they all agree that King Henry the sixth was doomed to come down with a deadly illness that would kill him that year. And Eleanor's like, Fuck yeah, I'ma be queen. Hail, yeah. Word gets out <laughs> that they have done this and that this prediction is a thing. Um, who knows how that happened, <laughs> Eleanor? Um, and so King Henry the Sixth finds out and he's pissed. He has so he's like, Oh yeah, well fucking suck on this and he goes and gets another astrologer to make the same horoscope reading and they're like dude no disease in your immediate future you're good Mm -hmm. um so you know astrologer versus astrologer it's like you know i thought that the stars told you exactly what but here we are um and it turned it turns out that using magic to predict the death of a king is not a chill thing <laughs> at the time. Um, Bolingbroke, Southwell, and Marjorie are all arrested, and they're charged with plotting to kill the king with necromancy. 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 So they're all questioned, tortured, uh, and Marjorie admits to selling love potions to Eleanor. Roger Bolingbroke... Uh, was brought before the church authorities to be examined for heresy. 
um, which really just means a religious punishment. Uh, at sermon time on Sunday, the 23rd of July, Roger is seated on his own painted chair with a paper crown on his head. <laughs> <laughs> like the dunce shit. Um, no. And he's displayed on a high stage at St. Paul's Cross London before a large and important lay and clerical audience. And he is surrounded by his instruments of magic, which is um, like images of wax and metal. Uh, He made a public confession that his practices were inconsistent with the Christian faith and swore to forsake his dealings with the devil. Um. Bolingbroke also told of how he had planned to use his dark magic to kill the king through the use of a wax effigy at the behest of the Duchess Eleanor. So just throw her ass under the bus. Everyone is like, Eleanor, this is kind of on you, homie. Um, Eleanor takes off in fear of being tried in front of these religious wackos. Uh, the remaining three were brought to court. Uh, Marjorie is found guilty of producing these magic potions and she's sentenced to burn at the stake. Uh, broke was found guilty of, uh, treasonable, <laughs> treasonable necromancy. And as opposed Ooh, to non-treasonable also, just the word reasonable makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's in the news now. It's yeah. so close to being reasonable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's treasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is hanged, drawn, and quartered. Um, and then his head is displayed on a spike at London Bridge. Which I guess was not falling down at the time. <laughs> God. I was wondering if I was going to say something. Um, uh, Southwell was to be executed as well, but he died while imprisoned at the Tower of London. Some Epstein shit. Um, But don't worry, our Duchess would not escape her punishment. She was eventually found guilty, arrested, sentenced to life in prison, and forced to divorce Humphrey for good measure. <laughs> like, it's not mm. like she didn't get it the worst, though. Mm-mm-mm. No, no. I'm pretty sure drawn and quartered yeah. and your head on a spike no. is... Um, Humphrey, the actual Lord Humphrey was found to have had nothing to do with it. And, you know, uh, he didn't know about the black magic. He didn't know about the necromancy of it all. Um, But the whole thing had been a massive scandal. And so that had gone all over Europe. And now, uh, oh, on top of that, Humphrey was against peace negotiations with France at the time. And that was becoming more and more of an unpopular stance. So uh, when King Henry VI was crowned, he was actually crowned prince or king of both England and France. Uh, And so at this point, England's kind of like, and King Henry is kind of like, we can probably just let go of France. Like, that's okay. Um, But Humphrey's still like, no. We keep the French. Um, <laughs> so folks are like, interesting blend of 
Yeah, British Southerner there. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Uh, let's see. Oh, another thing. Humphrey's protection of the... Okay, so in 1425, he, uh, Humphrey protects a Franciscan friar named John Randolph, who uh, he's in prison in the Tower of London and, and as a heretic. And Humphrey's mm-hmm. like, I'm ordering you to release this guy. And so then Car- Cardinal Henry Beaufort is like, you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, so, so Humphrey's got some fucking haters on his ass as well. Um, and he uh, dies under mysterious circumstances in 1447. Mm-hmm. Um Eleanor, she dies uh, 10 years in prison. Ten, yeah, after 10 years in prison. Um, so in recent years, because of all of the weird fucking shit behind Humphrey, it has been speculated that this is all a plot by his enemies. Um, and they were just like, mm, mm, they did witch shit. They did witch shit. They want to kill Henry, which is also easy to say Mm -hmm. at that time. Um, And so in the century since uh, balling broke, uh, like Karina said, he is in Shakespeare, uh, Henry, the six part two. And there's been a few kind of like historical novels. So like there's some, you know, it's one of those historical fiction situations around um, different people in this story. There's one that's about, I believe it's about Eleanor. um, And it looks like a a solid ass read. There's one of them that's just called the witch of I. Um, But again, since not much is known about old uh, Marjorie, it's mostly about Eleanor. Anyway, that's my very short story. Eleanor. Eleanor. Hello. Necromancy. Shakespeare. It's got everything. Astrology. I love I love some necromancy. Did you did we explain what necromancy is? It's well, I think in this realm it's just magic around death in general. Okay. Either but I think in, in most worlds it's um, raising the dead right raising the dead but i i think it's also just like killing people like anything related (laughs) magic something like that the Mm -hmm. red hot chili papers unmade first album death magic music what is that one i don't know Mm -mm. oh blood sugar such magic right (sighs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry, I tried to make a red hot chili peppers joke without really knowing anything about them. Uh, but it's cool, right? It's great. It's a great way to end our podcast mm-hmm. on a red hot chili pepper note. God. <laughs> uh, um, I hate the chili peppers so much. People do. I don't hate them. It's just, I don't. Get it. Um, yeah. So lots of people talking to the dead in this episode. Yeah. 
There's a lot of dead people mm-hmm. in this world to talk about. So many, so many dead people. And we will be one. Managed to find stories that are a little bit weirder than what's going on in the world today. Mm, it's very hard. That's the new challenge. Because like it's like we should almost like switch to normal brunch. Just mm-hmm. like we're gonna have a break. Yeah. Normal brunch. I just like all I wanna do is talk about I don't know. I like a successful story of going to the post office. Yeah. yeah, like I went and I got two things at Stamps, mm-hmm. motherfuckers. I had a, a, a great experience at Ross and found a very nice scented candle. Like, is that the stories? Those are the stories that this world needs. Yeah, like I don't need to know about all the gorillas in San Diego getting COVID. That's just depressing, too. I was too. texting you Whoa. about that. I was like, the gorillas? I saw that. Yeah. Wait, when did you? No, I said I almost did, but I didn't. Oh, the gorillas. Yeah, the San Diego Zoo gorillas have tested positive for COVID. Which, well, hang in there, everybody. 